So, I wonder if you're here in expectation because this is the final section in our series on Paul's prayers. Uh, the concluding study as uh, we've been going through them. And tonight uh, we're just focusing on the prayer that we find in uh, that chapter of Colossians from the second part of verse 9 through to verse 12. Now, while this prayer uh, in common uh, with the others that we've looked at, uh, we looked at the one in Ephesians chapter 1, that was 17 to 19, Ephesians chapter 3, 16 to 19, and Philippians 1, 9 through to 11. Uh, this prayer shows Paul's characteristic concern for the development of, of the spiritual life of the people that he's writing to. But I think that here in the Colossian prayer, we find a stronger theme of practical application, of Paul praying for their support as they live out their daily lives in Colossae. Now, Paul wrote to the uh, Colossian Christians to help them deal with what has become known as the Colossian heresy. But unfortunately, he never precisely defines uh, what that is. Uh, he does describe uh, these teachings in chapter 2, verse 8, as hollow and deceptive philosophy. And he goes on to mention uh, the worship of angels in verse 18. And human traditions such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, verse 21. Things which will draw the Colossian Christians away from their devotion to Christ if they give in to them and start living in these ways. So Paul writes to encourage them and to remind them of the uniqueness and the supremacy of Jesus' saving work. Such that they might know there is nothing worth following outside of him. Paul knows that the best way he can help them is to bear them up before the Lord in prayer. And so that's what he does. In fact, the first thing that he tells the Colossians, uh, once he's given his, his greeting at the start of the letter, is that since he heard of their faith in Christ, he is always praying for them. That's in verses 3 and 4. And giving thanks to God to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ for them. Uh, just to mention at this point, if, if you're using a version other uh, than the New King James tonight, you might find that the always uh, is attached to the giving thanks rather than to the praying. Uh, now, that's, the reason for that is because it's uh, grammatically permissible to translate it Either way, and some versions go for one, and some versions go to the other. Uh, the majority go with the uh, New King James Version and put the uh, always uh, attached to the uh, praying. 
And it's interesting to note that this continuity, always praying, this continuity of Paul's prayers for these believers is also picked up in verse 9, where he says that since hearing about them, he and Timothy do not cease to pray for them. So, whichever option you have in, in the Bible you're using, wherever the always is placed, verses 3 and 9 show that Paul prayed for these believers and that he prayed continually and persistently. And as we read these uh, verses about prayer, Paul teaches us three really excellent lessons. Number one, not surprisingly, that we should pray. We should pray for people. That almost goes without saying for us tonight, doesn't it? Because we're here at a Bible study and prayer meeting. But it's good to remind ourselves that whatever other help we might be able to give to people, whatever support we might be able to offer them, the best thing we can do for them is to pray for them, to seek God's help to meet their needs, to strengthen and encourage them if they're believers, and to seek that God would save them, would give them that gift of faith to believe if they don't yet know him. And also to bless any practical help that we are able to give, that it might be as effective as possible. And this is particularly important if we're in a position that we are physically unable to help them because of distance, perhaps, or some other restriction. Because that's the situation that Paul himself was in when he wrote this letter. Because most of the evidence indicates that he was, at that time, going through the period of house arrest uh, in Rome that we read of in Acts chapter 20. So he was physically incapable of going to minister to these folk so he prayed for them. The second thing he teaches us is that we should continue to pray. We should continue to pray. Paul knew that the challenge that the Colossian Christians were facing were not a one-off. It wasn't just a, something as a specific short period of time. It was going to be an ongoing issue that they were facing. And so he made sure that he continued to pray for them. Now, there are many things that we can pray for that are time-limited. Maybe somebody's going for an interview, or perhaps somebody's on a long journey. They're time-limited, aren't we? We know when they are going to come to an end. So we pray specifically for them for that period. But there are those things that are not time-limited, that aren't so specific like that. We think of a chronic illness or an unsaved family member or friend. And those are the cases where we need to continue to bear people up 
in prayer. To pray for them regularly and persistently. Now, as you can imagine, there are many things that fit into that category, uh, particularly when you consider what's going on in the world and the various things that we hear about in the news. And it's not possible to pray for them all in that way. So we need to seek the Lord's wisdom, to seek his wisdom and guidance regarding how we should pray for these many, many ongoing issues. And we may find that the Lord puts specific things on our hearts or things for a period of time. But we always remember that forever short, however long, we need to pray. And the third lesson Paul teaches us is that we should pray, that we should continue to pray, but that we should tell people we're praying for them. It's great to pray for people and for them to receive the, the help uh, that the Lord brings as a result of the prayer. But it brings an extra blessing if we can tell them that we are praying for them. Because it shows that we care enough. We care enough about them to pray for them. And that can be particularly powerful when we are speaking to somebody who isn't a Christian. Yeah. We are often, we're used to people telling us they're praying for us. And, and we've all experienced the lift that that gives us. But for people who aren't Christians, who are often uh, just disregarded and ignored and, and treated very poorly by everybody else, to know somebody that perhaps they don't even know that very well, cares about them enough to be praying about their needs, can have a big impact on them. And it encourages people by letting them know that we're seeking God's help for their situation. And it also brings glory to God when he is seen as the one who hears and answers prayer. So it is good to tell people we're praying for them. So Paul prayed and he would encourage us to do the same. So we're going to look now at the uh, things in the passage that were the subject of Paul's prayer for the uh, Colossian Christians. And the three headings we're going to use as we do that are knowing, living and patience. Knowing, living and patience. So first of all, let's consider knowing. And we find that in verse 9. Straight after his statement that he does not cease to pray for them. He makes that statement and then his first concern is that they may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Paul is asking, as one of the commentators puts it, that the imperfection and inadequacy of our knowledge of God's will must be more and more corrected by our growth 
in a deeper understanding. And this happens as we get to know God better. And our relationship with him grows. And that in turn happens as we read his holy word and his Holy Spirit illuminates it to us and helps us in our understanding to grow. Now for the Colossians, that knowledge of God and his will would protect them from the false teachings that would draw them away from their faith in Christ. And as that knowledge would protect them, so too it will protect us. Because false and heretical teaching isn't uh, something that was just around then. It's certainly alive and kicking today. uh, With people twisting God's words, people ignoring God's word, in order to promote their own agenda. And at our particular point in history, we see this particularly in the area of progressive ideology and sexual ethics. So we need to be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that we might know what we should do as his people and we're faced with these very different different, difficult and challenging circumstances these things increasingly face us all in these days and we need that knowledge and spiritual wisdom to deal with them now Paul opens his letter by dealing with their spiritual need and he does this rather than focusing on on any material needs they might have because spiritual needs are the top priority spiritual needs are the top priority as the theologian and bible commentator don carson says if god had perceived that our greatest need was economic he would have sent an economist if he had perceived that our greatest need was entertainment he would have sent us a comedian or an artist If God had perceived that our greatest need was political stability, he would have sent us a politician. If he had perceived that our greatest need was health, he would have sent a doctor. But he perceived that our greatest need was our sin and alienation from God, our rebellion, our death. And so he sent a saviour. And verses 3 and 4 of uh, this first chapter tell us that Paul had been praying for these believers since he heard of their faith in Christ Jesus. And in view of the supreme importance of that, of their faith, he opens his prayer by asking that they may be filled with the knowledge of God's will, which would then protect them, would protect that faith from those who would seek to draw them aside. As the Colossians would see how worthless anything else was compared 
to knowing Jesus. So now to our second point, living. Having dealt with the priority of knowing, uh, Paul then goes on to show that things don't just stop there. They don't just stop there with the knowing as if that was almost an end in itself. That we can know about God and that's it, job done. It's not that case. Because he goes on to say in verse 10, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work. So our knowledge of God isn't an end in itself. Our knowledge of God is that we might go on to live lives pleasing to him. The knowledge we have of God should transform our lives, our character, and affect the way in which we live. Salvation should always lead to transformation. And Paul taught that to the Corinthians. He said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And it's interesting to note that the way Paul has ordered his prayers of knowing and living, it shows that we need to have the knowledge of God before we can live for God, that before we can live a life that is pleasing to him. As the author of Hebrews tells us, without faith it is impossible to please God. So we should never think that being kind and helpful, going to church, reading our Bible, good though those things are, we should never think that they make us a Christian. Because they don't. And they won't be pleasing to God until we come to know him. Until we come to know him for ourselves. And we do that when we turn to Jesus in repentance and faith and seek for the forgiveness from sin that only he can offer us. That only he can bring to us. And that as we accept that gift, our sin is forgiven and we come into relationship with God. And we are then filled with the knowledge of his will by his spirit. And then once we know him, we should walk worthy of him. Being fully pleasing to him and fruitful in every good work. So as Christians we should be seeking to live our lives in ways that conform to the instructions that God gives us in his word. Lives that will be fully pleasing to him. Actively seeking to undertake good works. But how, how do you motivate yourself to to be doing that all the time is a continual thing well I heard something this morning that that's, uh, I found really encouraging and has helped me uh, for those of you who, who don't go to coffee morning and think 
well, it's just a bunch of folks sitting around having pancakes and, and a drink and a bit of a chat. Let me tell you, we learn Latin. Okay, we had a Latin lesson this morning, and it was most uh, enlightening and most challenging. Thank you, Richard. Uh, Richard, in his uh, ministry to us this morning, uh, mentioned the uh, the phrase that uh, J.S. Bach would uh, ascribe on uh, some of his music, Soli Deo Gloria, glory to God alone. And he challenged us and said, you know, does that affect the way we speak, what we do, what we watch, what we read? Could we write that, as it were, above all those things? Well, what a challenge that is. When you sit and think about, what am I doing now? Could I write to the glory of God alone, alongside whatever it happens to be? So that's really challenged and encouraged me. And I think if I keep doing that, I certainly will be living a life that is pleasing to God, as we all will. But that's a wonderful thing to think of and challenge ourselves with. So, thank you, brother. Now, as we seek to live this uh, life fully pleasing to God and uh, with uh, good works, I wonder if you've noticed the benefit that that brings for living like that that we see at the end of verse 10. Namely, increasing in the knowledge of God. As Hendrickson says, the apostle makes the clear knowledge of God both the starting point and the resulting characteristic of the God-pleasing life. We need the knowledge of God to start us off so that we can live a life pleasing to the God. And as we live a life pleasing to God, it increases our knowledge of him. So what a wonderful process God has ordained there that he gives us the knowledge to help us grow in our knowledge of him whereby we serve and as we serve our knowledge of him grows. And then finally we come to our third point, patience. And we read that in verse 11. Uh, Paul prays, I might be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. Uh, Paul prays that they and we would be strengthened by God so that they might know joyful patience and long-suffering. Now, the patience here isn't uh, the sort of patience you experience when you're waiting for your latest parcel delivery. Okay, yeah, okay, I know it's going to come, but I'm just hanging on for it. No. Rather, this patience is the quality that does not surrender to circumstances or succumb under trial. And the long-suffering that he mentions is that quality of self-restraint in the face of provocation. Now, these characteristics uh, would have been very important for the Colossians as they faced the pressures from the false teachers around them, seeking to turn them away from the Lord. 
but they're also becoming increasingly important for us as we face growing pressures to compromise our beliefs and our Christian way of life. You may have seen the story in the news today about the Christian Scottish politician, Kate Forbes, Uh, She is one of the current SNP leadership candidates. And uh, she has said uh, that she she would have voted against legislation on same-sex unions and she wouldn't have backed the gender uh, ID bill that uh, has been promoted. Now, as a result of her stance and her comments on that, a number of her supporters have withdrawn their support and that may have put her uh, potential for becoming SNP leader uh, in question but people have withdrawn their support for her because of her stance and then there's the Christian teacher Joshua Sutcliffe now he was disciplined for misgendering a transgender student And I'm sure, as I was, you're wondering, well, what on earth did he say? Uh, Well, he was speaking to a group of students and he said, well done, girls. Unfortunately, within the group uh, was a girl who wanted to be identified as a boy. And so he's uh, been uh, disciplined and he's currently going through a court process Uh, dealing with the school for that. So these issues are live today. And we are going to need patience and long-suffering to cope with them. These are particular things that have affected a small number of people. But as the society, if it carries on uh, in its current trajectory, they're going to touch more and more people's lives more and more of our lives and so we will need the Lord's strengthening that we might uh, have that patience and long suffering that we're going to need and then in the light of the wonderful wonderful provision that God does give the strengthening that he does provide the help that is all available to us Verse 12 shows us how we should respond. And that is by giving thanks to the Father.